Good morning, good morning. Welcome to another episode of the Early Birds Podcast. And today, we have a special guest, good friend of mine, Tom Ollis, owner of Edge Financial. Sir, how are you doing today? You know, doing wonderful. I was excited to come uh, join you this morning as I've uh, listened to your podcast. Like the energy, it always gets me motivated for the day and uh, just a good ally in the industry. So love to see your office here and come and uh, no wonder you're successful. I see the work that's put in and just excited to be here. You know, you talked about mo- your motivation getting going. <laughs> well, guys, it's 6, 11 a.m. and Tom is here, ready to go, ready to grind. You got a long day ahead of you. How was that journey into Michigan? You know, pretty good. It was, uh, you know, we have... 60, I think I had 66 team members coming to lovely Pontiac, Michigan for um, one of our custom visits that we do for UWM where we're bringing our team members out and helping uh, them get acclimated to the broker channel. So we got about, I think out of the 60 some, like the majority of them are all coming from retail. So making sure that uh, we get a chance to meet them, making sure they get to learn some of the secret uh, sauce that's going on out here in in Michigan. And uh just spending some time together and getting better. You know, it's it's crazy how Michigan became like the the mortgage mecca of the world. They they talk about that a lot. It's like why Michigan? Yeah, I've I've asked myself that many many times, <laughs> and I think I know the answer. Um, but I I don't know. I could I could be wrong. But I, to me, it was like you watch the auto industry collapse here, and then you not only have a lot of good talent, um, you also have a lot of good office space too for fairly. Uh, fairly cheaper for massive corporations i think to come in and revitalize the community so it's uh, it definitely is the mortgage mecca i mean i don't know um there's not another place in the country that has more mortgage origination centers than than michigan i i agree 100 so listen guys with with this podcast you know what we focus on is is really the past really how you got to the place that you're in not everybody knows you that's going to be listening into this podcast but it's about your journey and the one thing i love about tom is i remember entering the broker space not not many years ago been in the mortgage space together 10 years but broker space roughly three and i remember how just open you were off the bat and I was a little nervous of it at first because you just never know. And then I, you and I start to connect and it's like, oh my God, this is a culture of collaboration, of cooperation. You're a genuinely good person. And the reason I want to talk about this a little bit is your journey is a special one. You've shared some with me, but can you walk us through just how you got started in the industry, where everything began and you transitioning into that role that you're in today? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, never had uh, aspirations to be in the mortgage industry per se. I uh, I grew up in uh, Akron, Ohio, and after a lot of my friends were going to college and you know try, they had their mindset on what they were going to do with their career. I was I was uncertain, right? I knew that um, school wasn't always the best for me. Although I loved to learn, I wasn't always the best student, but I also I had more of an entrepreneurial mindset to where when I even looked at it from, okay, you're going to take on a couple hundred thousand dollars in student loan debt to make 60 or $70,000 a year. And right out of high school, I was working as a barback for uh, a nightclub chain. And right when I turned to basically 18, graduated high school, they promoted me to uh, a manager and that was in uh, the East Bank of the Flats in Cleveland. And 
I was having a good time. I mean, to <laughs> me, it was, uh, you know, at that point, the hustle and uh, really, you know, you've got a, a short amount of time to make a, to make all of the money for the company. And I just liked it. Like, to me, I still, like, I think if I could go back and take a job, it sounds weird, but like, I like cooking. I like running busy things. And when I say cooking, like being a chef in a busy restaurant, like the pressure that uh, that creates, I've always enjoyed. So, you know, speed it up just a tad bit, you know, that uh, location, they were shutting it down. And the owner of it was Banana Joe's nightclub. So I don't know how PC your podcast is, but I'll call it, it used to nope. be Banana Hose. Yeah, no, nope. um, let it go. And yeah. it was, uh, you know, it was it was a fun environment, but they had 38 clubs all over the country. And the owner walked in and he's like, hey, you know, we're closing down next week. And, you know, I looked at him and granted at that point I was 18 years old. So I was 19, I was 18, 19 years old. And I just said like, why? Like, what are you closing this? You have a perfect location. You're just doing a couple things wrong. And my buddy who was the general manager, which is how I got into the place, he, um, he looked at us both. He's like, well, if you think you know what you can do, then I want you to be at my office on Monday and you tell me then what I'm doing wrong since you know so much. And he was kind of like sarcastic about it. But at the same time, I was serious about it because I could tell that there was an opportunity for growth within um, their business and what they were doing wrong. And sometimes having a different lens to see things through and having those that are even willing to listen uh, can yield some good results. So I went down there. I had my uh, business plan, which was really at that point, I think it was on a just a little three ring binder with some chicken scratch on it, yellow paper. And he said, fine, here you go. Here's uh, I had a $180,000 budget, gave me the big checkbook. He said, we're going to close down for one month and I want you to to take it, take it, make it happen. So we shut down, spent probably 160,000 on marketing, 20,000 on what I, you know, branded afterwards. It's like a peel and paint. So we come in, don't spend a lot of money on changing the actual space, but spending on marketing and recreate the brand. So it was my first opportunity to really see what I had, you know, like, can I execute on the ideas of it's easy to say, yeah, well, you can do this. But execution is normally where things fail. And, you know, I busted my ass to make it happen, right? I went to all the fraternities, sororities, I found out who the, you know, leaders were, who the like influential people were that attract other people, and they like to party with, invited them, they got a free drink, free drinks for you, bring your bring your friends, let's go. We, we did radio advertising, had uh, people out canvassing with flyers at that point. But we went from you know, we were doing like 30 to 35,000 a week in gross revenue. Um, and then opening weekend, we did like 470,000. Oh so God. it was just packed. It went amazing. Uh, opened up a club called the jungle, uh, was the name of it, uh, in the East bank of the flat in the late nineties, if anybody remembers that, uh, place, but it went really well. And so then the next, uh, week owner called me, he was like, all right, you know, great job. You're now promoted, um, but you need to go to Dayton, Ohio and do the same thing. So at that point, I was uh, 19 because I remember having to, I was nervous. One, they never asked me my age, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, oh shit, I have to order, you know, fifty, sixty thousand $60,000 worth of liquor and I can't even buy a drink myself. But I didn't, uh, 
to me, I want to say that I overcompensated, but I knew that there were things that could affect me in being successful that I didn't have control over. And that was my age. Just like, you know, there's people that have it and say it's, uh, you know, everybody has the, the card stacked against them in some way or another, you know, but it, uh, it came down for me that I knew I had to work harder and I had to execute on what had to happen. So I went down to Dayton, Ohio, and I had to fire the general manager. I had to have the safe drilled, do a money count, and then do the same thing there. So we basically shut that club down for a month after I figured out that the brand there was just exhausted because most of the most of those establishments only last maybe two years. You know, you get the hot new place and then it fizzles out. Mm -hmm. So, and the problem was most all of those larger commercial spaces required a 10-year lease. So as we would go from city to city, I found out I could easily change the brand. I had the marketing part down to, to grow it and worked really well, kept getting promoted to the point where by the time I turned 21, I was their director of operations. So I had 38 clubs all over the country and transferred two weeks at a time. I would go from city to city. First, My first weekend would be spent kind of undercover which meant I got to have fun and have some drinks. Yeah. And uh, and then I would look around and I would notice, you know, who was stealing, who was, um, who, you know, why was, why was this business failing? Um, and then it just kept progressing. I got to do in mergers and acquisitions because as I mentioned, most of those establishments have a 10 year lease and we have a two year shelf life. So, uh, I started doing mergers and acquisitions with other national nightclub companies to where we would swap out locations. Um, so that really helped us. Went great until it was like four or five years of doing it. It was like four years where I didn't own my own pillow. I had still was using my parents' address. I didn't have an address. And I, I was just sick of it. I was sick of traveling um, and really wanted a home base. And... The last location I was at was in Minneapolis. And I remember like seeing all the people that were coming in that were spending money. And most of them were in the mortgage and real estate industry. Mm -hmm. And truthfully, they weren't that bright either no. as I would talk to them. <laughs> so so I'm like, wait a minute here. You know, so you're telling me and that back then, you know, now at least we have a little bit of a barrier of entry, which is still very small. I mean, 20 hours of education and you know, make sure you're somebody that is uh, paying their bills and doesn't have any felonies or, you know, we've tightened up a little bit. But back then there was no, um, there was nothing like you want to come sell, sell money, sell mortgages. Great. Here you go. Here's a desk, you know, and off to the races. So um, I started with my first brokerage then in 2001, which was Nova Star. I'm pretty sure they've imploded uh, back in the last uh, market recession in 2008. But that went uh, went good. I, I leveraged a lot of the relationships I had, tried to find a niche, um, which for me was, you know, kind of foreclosure bailouts because I knew I had a lot of friends that were in the, the in nightclub industry that had a lot of money and I would utilize their money to, to buy houses that were in foreclosure and then sell them to my investors. So created a niche, went really well. I say really well, but the definition of really well when you're 20, so 22, yeah. 23 oh, yeah. is a lot different than what it is today. But I, I found a career and I liked it, right? I, I got into the basics of it that I still feel today is like we're in the business of selling money. And if you're going to be in sales, 
you know, what is a better thing to sell than money, especially now, you know, in the broker channel where we can sell it cheaper, we can close it faster and we're better. So I skipped through a lot of part. We'll keep, keep going. Went to Novastar, worked there. Then I went to a, um, a company where, you know, this was still the wild, wild west days, like the early 2000s, where I worked for a company that was all lead based. So we'd get calls in. We had this big yellow Hummer. And whoever would go on sales calls for that day got to take take the big yellow Hummer wrapped with all cities, uh, all cities mortgage. And we would go and close our deals at right on the initial appointment. And then you would clear conditions during rescission. Um, so it was like, wow, yeah, there yeah. was no, you know, it was wild. I mean, literally when you're going on the appointment, you bring a notary with you, they sign, they're done. And then we had to get appraisal and clear the couple of conditions that they had or made sure they could fog a mirror back then is about all it was. Um, went really good. I liked it and opened up my own company then in 2004, partnered with two other guys and kind of tried to copy that model, the consumer direct model. And I really, I liked it. And then all of a sudden, you know, the market collapsed. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't see my blind spots then, you know, I think as a, as a entrepreneur, you're always your education, instead of going to college, your education is, you know, failing, <laughs> you know, like, what did you do to fail before? Where are your blind spots? And, you know, for mine, at that point, it was like, I didn't even know what FHA loans were. It was all subprime. We were doing two-year loans with three-year prepays and option arms and everything, all the crazy loan products we had. And <clears throat> when it switched to FHA, you know, it took too long for me to be able to get uh, up and going to be able to keep things going. So lost everything, um, 2008. And then I went back to running nightclubs again for like nine months and um, opened up a couple of uh, really successful um, establishments that are still there in Minnesota, still good friends with uh, the owners of, of those places and did it for nine months. And I'm like, okay, this wasn't near as fun when I was around. 21, 22 years old. And uh, obviously not very conducive of having a marriage or a family or a life other than, you know, being involved in that industry is like, you know how it goes. It's like you go out, you know, you go out on the Monday, Tuesdays, because that's service industry, Nate. That's where you network. It's where you meet all the people. So I just, I burnt out from it. So I moved back to Ohio and I started with a company in Florham Park, New Jersey. I worked for the money store for a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and still, you know, I, I was doing okay, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't something that I loved. Like it didn't feel, it felt more like a job than a career. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to come back to Minnesota because I knew I, I met my wife uh, like 2008 at that point. And <clears throat> it was a really good place. Like I, besides the weather, you know, you have a ton of fortune 500 companies you have, you know, I think they have the highest credit score rating out of all the States in the country. It's just, it's good people, good mixture to where I grew up in a farm town in Ohio and Minnesota is like a melting pot of people from all over the world. And I like that. And I wanted my daughter to make sure that she saw the world for what it was, that it's not just, you know, everybody looks like you and it's the same, same thing. Like here's the world And Minneapolis has a good, a good view of that. In my opinion, just want to stop it right there for a second. For those of you that don't know, this is the type of human being that Tom is. 
it's it's not just transparency it's full honesty he's explaining his whole story and let me tell you i have so many questions like i, I my mind is racing <laughs> right now so my background uh bar, the bar life for me too actually yep. so 17 years old and then at 18 they grandfathered me in because they just changed it to 21 to be able to bartend and i was running into your same situation mm-hmm. it was fun i learned so much but i remember you know i'd have occasionally here or there a lady maybe come in and say hey have a drink with me and i'm like yeah. I can't, you know, I, I, I can't do that. I, and, and, but you're running something special. And I have so many questions, but I want to start uh, early on because I think it's really transpired into who you are today. You talked about growing up in you know small farm town. Yep. So you didn't learn about the financial literacy. You didn't learn about compound interest. And, no. and we're very similar there. And you learned it through trial and error. And I also didn't go to college. I, I, I left and took care of my family. Very similar story. You and I yep. on that front. What I want to talk about, though, is fear. Yeah. Fear and change. I don't know what it is, but you didn't care or fear nothing uh, when you were 18, 19, going up and getting $160,000 and telling the owner of a nightclub. And those, I don't know, for those of you who've met owners of nightclubs, yeah. not all of them, some of them got a little bit of an ego. Yeah, just a little. A little ego. Where where did that come from? The the no fear. I mean, how do you even start to even teach somebody that? Yeah, that's it's funny because growing up, my uh, I worked a lot with my grandfather who just did construction, and he he coined the name for me, little boss man, right? Because for even then, I was much more of like when he would tell me to do something, I would tell him, well, hey, you know, I think it it doesn't make sense. Do it this way. And he would, you know, back then it was like, I'd probably get slapped in the head. Um, I, I don't, I can't tell you where it came from to me, you know, truthfully, I came from nothing. So the risk reward, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. well, what do you have to lose? Like, you know, you're going to miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. So for me, it was, uh, I don't know. I guess the the risk reward for me is I had nothing to lose in those situations to where, and I think it's still the same for me today. Even I look at it and it's like, you know, money doesn't make you any happier, right? Like you get to the point to where you make enough that you can go on vacation. You can drive the car you're comfortable with. You have the house that you want. You know, there's no level of happiness that comes with it. It's more, you know, to me, being successful means something different to me than maybe it does to the next person. So, you know, I don't, I don't have that fear from that aspect because it's a reality. Yeah, I could fail, you know, and I have failed and it's like, okay, what's going to happen with that? Am I going to, um, I'm not doing things that are going to risk my life. So it's not a life or death. It's like, okay, if I fail, then I get to re, you know, I get to rebuild, I get to learn something. Now, at this point in my career, I don't want to fail anymore yeah, because yeah. it's a hell, it's a hell of a lot harder to rebuild in your you know in your forties and plus it was painful. I mean, I think you know even two thousand eight going back to you know living by my parents and needing to you know as an adult be vulnerable enough to say, hey, dad, can you help me with uh, I need help with my cell phone bill or you know that's where it was. It was all or nothing. You talk about uh, pain, you know, you said the word pain and I, I believe in it so much. You know, I, I remember uh, I was fortunate to get into mortgages at 21 years old and I started making a lot of money at 21, 22 and burned through so much early on, not right. coming from money or anything. And then you finally, you finally learn who you are, right? And you talked about that, that pain and that structure. For you, when it comes to pain and when it came to getting through 2008 and getting through all of that and being vulnerable, 
How, how difficult was that? And then more importantly, the part I really want to learn about with you is how do you not go into a victim mentality like so many people do and say, you know what? This pain hurts, but this pain's on me and I know how to get out of it. I'm not going to blame other people. Where, where do you go to get into a place like that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're, you're good at drawing out questions because I can't say that I've even identified that. I mean, to me... You know, I think it even goes back to my childhood, right? Like my biological father uh, wasn't really a part of my life. And when I realized like I was calling him on my birthdays, on Christmas, on I kind of realized at that point that even relationships or relationships are optional um, for those that are, you know, reciprocal. So, you know, when you mm. talk about the pain of, you know, loss, I didn't really lose anything. You know, to me, it's more I learned something and I'm hard headed. So sometimes it takes me to learn by having something that I do like taken away from me, just like a kid. You know, if your kid's uh, acting up and you take away their toy or it's their cell phone nowadays, well, they're going to think about it and like, OK, I don't want that to happen again. Um, so it's more, you know, I, I, I hear the question of. Why not blame somebody else or something else? And there's always that option, but it never it never allows you to grow, right? It's like I can look and say, man, I'm so pissed that the market collapsed. This happened, this happened, this happened. Um, but instead, you know, for me, especially with now what I've done with Edge is I have a recession-proof company now. You know, I've we just were kind of coming out of one or in one. Who, who knows, right? We see companies closing today that were highly successful mortgage businesses that why, why are they, you know, why are they closing? You know, why are they losing money? And I look back at how I was running even my business then, and I would have not have gained that knowledge if I didn't go through that experience, right? I, um, of understanding, you know, how important it is to take care more of your infrastructure, the house of the business before, you know, you're taking care of everybody else. And that's my, you know, me, I like helping others, right? So when I have, at that point in 2008, when we had 100 staff, you know, I'm going into my 401k, I went into my retirement, I went into, you know, mortgage the how, I mean, I did everything I could to take care of everyone else. And then what I realized, and I needed to learn that way is now I can't help anybody, <laughs> you know, compared to, you know, I think our structure on how I've built things now with our company is the house isn't going to fail this time. Right. Because there are at this point, we have about 650 team members, 550 roughly originators, but their families rely on me to make those decisions. So it's even, you know, when times are tough right now, hey, can I get an advance of five grand or 10 grand? I'm comfortable saying no now, even though I care about them and I don't like to see them struggling. But the reality is, you know, they got to look in the mirror. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, there's a gentleman who hopefully I get to come join me at some point, but he works for Fairway right now in Cleveland. He was my manager when I worked at uh, the money store in, in Cleveland. And he, he was really influential to me because he put a mirror in my cube. And he's like, hey, I want you to know who's in charge of the problems you have. And he put the mirror in my desk, and it was like a smaller mirror, but it's a, you're in a freaking cube. So it's like I'm either staring at my computer or I look to the side and I'm looking at myself and he was like, you know, if you don't have enough business, here's who to talk to. Wow. You know, so for me, like it resonated with me because it, 
it's factual, right? I mean, there's people that are struggling right now, but there's a lot that aren't. And, you know, what is the differentiator between those that are doing and those that aren't? It's it's smiling at six in the morning to do a podcast. That's it. I'm I mean, serious. Yeah. That's, you know what's crazy? And, and um, I, I'll say, you know, men, men specific on this, and this is why I'm so fascinated. So so many men deal with mental health uh, issues, but they don't like to talk about it. Uh, right. I've, I've shared my journey now with people. I don't talk about it much, but I've been more comfortable now sharing and it's crazy how many people I've been able to like impact and touch. And I've had people come up to me and say, thank you for talking to me about your mental health issues and what you deal with and struggle with. And so the reason I'm, I'm asking you this so much and why I'm so fascinated is so many men out there correlate success to what they have in their bank account. Yep. And and it, when they lose it all, and you said that word multiple times, right? You lost it all. Yep. And you really lost it all. And now, thank you for even sharing about the 401k. You know, I didn't want to touch on it if you didn't want to, but <laughs> you did. Like, he lost it all. All of it was gone. It was no longer there. And instead of sitting there trying to figure it out and lose his mind and not try to figure it out, he said, okay, I'm going to go to the bar business for nine months. I'm going to go back to doing something that he thought he no longer had to do anymore simply because he's a man that's going to figure it out. He didn't tie everything to what he had at that time. And sure enough, it turned into something so special for you. And you, you run an unbelievable business, National Broker of the Year, uh, Edge Financial. And, and I was celebrating like crazy <laughs> for you. You know, we, we all were because of the human being that you are. Even though I'm competitive, don't get yes, me wrong. No, I, I wanted to win, right? But it's you winning. I was like, all right, like that's a person that I want to see succeed just because of your story and your journey. And so now you've turned this into something spectacular. And more importantly than that, the, the type of man you are, the, the husband that you are, uh, the father that you are, plus the, the businessman that you are. And then even the athlete that you are, I know you do some of these crazy events. How do you manage all of that? Everything that you've gone through. And now you manage, you know, father, you manage being a husband, you manage business, you manage your health. How does that all come in line? Because when I call you, it's always a smile on that face, man. And it's it's something special whenever I give you a call. You know, <clears throat> it's funny because I think a lot a lot of people ask that, but there really isn't, I don't know how to say it besides it's the same as you, you know, like what drives you to wake up in the morning? Are you somebody that I dread my day, you know, or like to me, I'm super excited to get up and have my first cup of coffee, you know? And then from there, I'm excited to like, Everything is uh, an opportunity, right? So instead of I have to, it's been like I get to, you know? And I think a lot of it, even when the whole market collapsed and then I did that, I spent, you know, I spent eight years sober completely. Like I didn't drink uh, from 2011 to 2019 to where, you know, I had to kind of learn some things about myself. Um, and part of that was like really finding the joy in every aspect in life, right? I mean, it's uh, there's some people that don't get to wake up today not in pain, yet those that wake up not in pain aren't happy that they're not in pain because they're not thinking about it. Um, so to me, it's been, um, I don't know. I, I would say maybe medicine helps a little bit too because I don't want to say I have, uh, I don't say I have like mental things, but I mean, there's some things you got to go and get checked out. Yeah. Make sure your levels are right on all different things to, you know, being open enough to, to look at those and, and do it. Um, so yeah, it's been, uh, to me, every day is an opportunity. So how do I, how do I manage all of that? It's really easy because it's not like it's a task. I don't, I don't dread 
you know, even leaving work a little bit early on Tuesday nights. Normally I work really late on Mondays. Monday's my hardcore day just to make sure my week's straight. But Tuesday I know I'm home at six o'clock. I'm having dinner with my wife and daughter. We're watching. We watch this episode called Good Doctor on Hulu. Mm, yeah, um, for sure. You know, my daughter loves it. I love it. And that's like, I love it. That's the time. Now, granted, there's times where they probably get frustrated because I'm like, hey, I got to get this email real quick yeah. or I have this. But that's just how it goes. They understand it. And I think it's important, too, even for my daughter to see what work ethic is. Like, you know, I don't I'm not doing it all the time to chase success, but I'm doing it because in our business, people rely on us. Mm. Right. Um, your own team members rely on you. But more important, even those that are on the front lines, you know, your clients rely on you. The last thing they want to have is fear or anxiety about is the roof over their head going to be there. And we play an integral part in that to where you can take the take give give somebody a little peace, right? And I, I like that. I know I can tell when somebody's anxious about the home buying process, um, or even if they're anxious about switching employers. And it's just being open, like take the time and talk with them, right? Um, and to me, I, I, I like that. It's not not something I got to try to do. It's just who you are. And, yeah. you know, one of the things that I've been really preaching is it's about perspective so much of the time. And the perspective for me on why every day I try to make it the best day. And I have my days. It's not like every day I wake up, you know, with Same. flowers and rainbow. Oh, here yes. we go. Can't wait. You know, smile. Yep. Uh, for me, it's it's simple. Someone stuck in my head and it's never left. You know, one of these days I'm going to have to look back on my life. And it's either going to be good or not so good. But yep. the beautiful part is you get to make that choice every single day. And someone said that to me a long time ago. And it's something that I have never forgot because it's so true. And even when I stopped, you know, now I don't really drink as much. I'll have an occasional cocktail. But you've even seen me at when we go to these events at AIM or whatever. I'm yep. out. Like yep. 930, I'm gone. I don't have time. I got to be up early. Like I just That's just who I want to become, who I am. And, and I want to make sure that the people who gave me this opportunity, because people gave me this opportunity. Now, I ran with it, yeah. but I can ruin it. Why would I let them down? They didn't have to let me in this door, yeah. and they chose to let me in. And so we have, uh, we have a couple minutes left, and I have one question that I ask everybody to end this, okay? And so I want you to think uh, deeply about this question because it's something that's incredibly fascinating, and, and um, I'm always curious, and I want to compile these down the road. 18-year-old Tom, 19-year-old Tom, you get to see him today, all right? And maybe he's behind the bar, right? Bar back, about to go talk to the owner of this, this place, right? Banana hose, uh, and, and go through and have this conversation with the owner. And you see this bar back ready to go in and have this conversation with that owner. What do you tell him to get him motivated and pumped up about his journey and what he's about to see? <clears throat> Similar to what I think I heard even Matt Ishbia said when, you know, they had aspirations to be, you know, at one point maybe doing 20 million a year. I mean, it was such a small number. Um, I think for me, it's still accepting the fact that there really are not limits on what you can do. And just because you're, you know, maybe you're a young kid, maybe it's because you're a different ethnicity that isn't, uh, um, known to be successful as often or whatever the case is, there are no limits. Like limits are placed on yourself. So really just believing in who you are, because I don't know about you mentally, I've learned through mistakes, but I'm still the same person. Like uh, sometimes I don't think like even when I uh, like, wow, I'm in my 40s. I remember when my parents were in my 40s. That seems old. Um, 
but I feel the same. And I, I think that I, besides the experiences, it's been, you know, realizing to not limit yourself on what your goals are, right? It's okay to have stages and goals, but not to set goals for like, even that situation. My goal, when I was walking up to that gentleman and saying that, my goal was really to help him. You know, one, I thought I could do it, uh, but two, it was to help him. So I don't know where that's going to be. You know, we could I have a feeling you and I will be friends for a long time. Yeah. Ten years from now, I don't know. I don't have like an end goal, right? My goal really is to just try to do better than I did yesterday, right? When I wake up, it's like, okay, what did I do great? What did I, what could I improve on? And even at that point, I would say, what I would say to them is don't limit yourself, you know, and know your value. Because a, a lot of it for me was always, I would say, insecurity at that age of trying to prove myself. And that can be good in some ways, but in some ways it can be it can be bad. Just be confident and execute on what you're doing because the majority of people have aspirations, but they don't have execution. Mm -hmm. And it's fairly, in my opinion, it's fairly easy to execute. I write it on a pad of paper. And that doesn't get crossed off until I execute it, right? And it's, uh, I don't know about you, but if I have that list of paper, like that's what keeps me up at night knowing, all right, I left today and I did half of the, half of the so shit no that formulas, I wanted to do. So no formulas, no crazy computer programs, a pen yeah. and paper, huh? Yeah, just pen and paper. Listen, thank you so much, Tom, for being on here and sharing your journey, your story. It's an incredibly fascinating one. Gave me goosebumps along the way and I appreciate it. For, for those of you, thank you so much for tuning into the Early Birds podcast. And if there's there's anything you take from Tom, if you're, you're newer into the industry or if you're just trying to figure out life, whether you're in the industry or not, take it one day at a time. And do me a favor. Stop shaming yourself. It's okay. It's going to be great. You're going to do a wonderful job. But you have to be better every single day and focus on improving every single day. That choice is up to you and you have to look in the mirror. Thank you. This is another episode of the Early Birds Podcast. Take care.